Well, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 2, and it's so wonderful to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. Uh, if you would, and you've got your Bibles and you haven't already, turn to John chapter 6. So our big idea, the thing that we've been going over, or we started last week, and we're continuing this week, is the idea of worship through generosity. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear the word generosity, I tend to think primarily in one aspect of life, and that's finances. If I've been given money, I should be giving money. But generosity is so much more than just your wallet. There are all kinds of different areas on which to be generous. Uh, also, if you will today, say a little prayer for the cameraman. I've already made one quit because I move around a whole bunch. So we're going to see if we can go two for two. Okay? <laughs> so just, just pray for Isaac in the back. Um, but it, generosity with, with our time, our energy, our efforts, our finances, our relationships, our, uh, our homes, all of those things are an outpouring of our worship of the Lord. And today we're going to look at the idea of generosity of possessions. So in John chapter 6, we see a couple, of, a couple of things. Now, for most of you, this may be a common passage. You've heard it spoken about countless times. I grew up in church and I heard it all my life. But there are a couple of things here that I think are very interesting for us as we think about our possessions. And the first thing is this. When, when we're talking about generosity, it's not always logical. Generosity isn't always logical. Look, look at the first part of John 6. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on a mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Okay. So Jesus went to the other side of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And you're like, that's great. Why is that important? Well, he went from, if you have a map, the Sea of Galilee is up above the, the Dead Sea and the Jordan River, and it's away from Jerusalem, and he goes from the bottom of the Sea of Galilee up to the top. And you go, okay, great. He went to the top of the Sea of Galilee. Why is that important? Well, it says um, <clears throat> that, sorry, he went up on a mountain there, he sat down with his disciples in verse four. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. So if you know anything about the Passover or the feast of the Jews, everyone at this time of year was headed the opposite direction of Jesus, toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem would swell to over six times its population size. And if you couldn't stay in the city of Jerusalem, if you didn't have family or there wasn't lodging, you stayed in the mountains on the hillsides in tents. Whole families would be in tents all across the countryside for Passover. Now, there might be a couple of reasons that Jesus went the opposite direction. One, it might not have, he might not have needed the amount of time to travel down to Jerusalem. We don't know, but that's where he is. The other thing that we see here is there's a whole group of people following him. So there's a whole group of people that's going with Jesus in that direction. So where does Jesus go? Well, obviously he goes to town, right? I mean, that's where you're gonna go if you take a whole bunch of people. Nope, he doesn't go to town. It says Jesus went up on a mountain where he sat with his disciples. So so we see that the location, the first thing we see is that the location's inconvenient. 
He's not in town. He's not around lodging. He's not around any of that. He's where? Up on a mountain. How many, how many people have spent time up on a mountain? Prolonged period of time. It's, it's super, super plush accommodations. Wonderful. I mean, the pine needles are just amazing as a mattress. Forget the purple mattress. Forget your sleep number bed. Just get pine needles. It's great. It's not convenient. None of this is convenient. And he looks up. And there's a whole crowd of people following him. So what does he say? (laughs) Lifting his eyes, in verse 5, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? I love verse 6. Verse 6 is like a wink so that you know what's going on. (laughs) He says, he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Okay. Also, if you, if you didn't know this, this chapter right here, this passage, it's a lot like dealing with a youth group. Okay. So there are questions that we as, as youth leaders ask, and we know what answer we're going to get. And, and it's really interesting to see the reaction when you ask said question. Like, you can ask, so does God really love everyone? Oh my goodness, the reactions you get. It's, it's, it's amazing, it's wonderful. Jesus asked Philip, he says, Philip, where can we go to buy bread? And he did it because he knew, he knew what Philip was gonna say. If, if you're not, as you read through the Bible, if you don't pick up on the subtle humor that's in it, I feel like you're really missing out. There are so many instances in scripture where there are just things that you kind of sort of have to chuckle at. Like one, I love it. In the book of Judges, there's this guy. His name's uh, Shamgar. Anybody heard of him? No, that's okay. Because he gets like one verse. And it says, Shamgar slew 800 Philistines with an ox goad. That's it. That's all we get. Okay, L- let, me, let me frame that for you. He slew 800 Philistines. Now, the only quantity of single-handed Philistine slaying that I know of, if we're ranking this, is Samson with a thousand and a donkey's, a donkey's jaw jawbone, okay? So Shamgar's slightly under him as far as if you're picking your, your best fighter in judges. Shamgar's slightly under him with 800 with an ox goad. Now an ox goad is like a, uh, a, a first century um, cattle prod. It's just a long stick with a point on it. I, I want to know. This is the guy I want to find when I get to heaven. Because I'm going to be like, okay, did you see them coming from a long way off? And like, did everybody else run away? And you're like, nope, hold on. I got this. Like, how did this all go down? We don't know. Or another one is the 10 plagues in Egypt. We all know there were 10, right? No, there were 12. The first two were repeated on the people by the magicians that Pharaoh had hired. Could you imagine the conversation with God on that? Just wait for it. They're going to do it to themselves. (laughs) Because they think they don't need me. And so here, Jesus asked this question to to Philip about money. And Philip says what? (laughs) He says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. All right, so this is your high schooler in youth group. He's pragmatic. They understand how the world works and they're gonna tell you. You come up with an idea and like, hey, let's use slime. Like, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. Here's the reasons why. For this reason and this reason and this reason. Oh, also, we can't even get slime. 
Philip's the same way. 200 denarii wouldn't be enough to even get a little. They won't even get, they won't get nothing. The money, the location is inconvenient. The money or the sum is inconceivable. Jesus, the amount that we would have to get in order for them to just get a little wouldn't even be 200 denarii. It wouldn't do enough. We can't, we can't have it. Now, a lot of us, if we're in this situation, as we read through scripture, we're going what? We're going, I just don't understand this, Philip. Why didn't he get it? I mean, these disciples, they were with Jesus for three and a half years and they're just like bricks. Didn't understand anything. How many of us, though, do the exact same thing when God asks us to do something? God, I can't, I can't for, for this reason. It's not even enough, Lord. I don't have X, Y, Z. So what takes place next? Well, this is where your middle schooler comes to solve all your problems. Okay. Andrew, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Have anybody ever noticed why they always say Andrew, Simon Peter's brother? Like Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, as if you were going to forget who Andrew was. I don't. Sometimes I wonder about that. But then again, when you think about who writes it, John is writing it, Matthew, there's probably a reason why they did it. Um, It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five loaves of barley and two fish. And all of the disciples collectively go, but you've got to love Andrew, right? Because he, he's, he already knew there was this kid that had lunch. Now, it might have been because he was hungry. I, I don't know. I've got, I've got youth group kids that can sniff out pizza half a mile away. This past week, I got to spend the whole week with them doing, uh, we did uh, projects around Mansfield for different uh, nonprofit organizations. We worked with Camp Anathan. We worked with the Hymn Center, which if you, you don't know the Hymn Center, it's a food bank here that distributes food on a quantity I have never seen before in my life. On Tuesday, we distributed with them and we distributed roughly 80,000 pounds of food. On Thursday, we distributed with them and we distributed roughly 30, it's, I'm gonna not use pounds this time, we'll use tons, roughly three and a half tons of food. It equals 900 families, roughly 260 vehicles. It's like Sam's Club on the quick. I, I'm kidding you not. They're like, oh, you need some meat? Here's ribs. Like all of Chili's baby back ribs, all of them. You can just have them. It's amazing. Because we have such a need, not just here, but a, there, there are people that come from hours away in order to get what the Hymn Center is giving out. They, they give food to other food banks in the area. It's generosity on a massive scale. But you look at that and go, okay, so that's roughly 900 families 80,000 pounds of food, and here's this kid with five loaves and two fish. His mom probably packed his lunch that morning, kissed him on the forehead, was like, hi, bye, have fun, maybe with his dad or whatever. I don't know why the dad, if he went with his dad, I don't know why his dad wasn't there with, with lunch as well. But Andrew, Andrew had the connection. He said, there's a boy here, brings his food up. It's, this, this meal, though, you look at it in comparison to the need, and it's infinitesimal. 
It's not worth it. Why? Because generosity, when it comes to the Lord, generosity isn't always logical. It doesn't make sense. The location is inconvenient. The sum of money is inconceivable. And the means or the meal is infinitesimal. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. How, how, how does this equation work? I don't know. I can't figure it out. Can you? Well, that's the whole point. See, our lack of supply is an excuse, isn't it? We go, God, I don't have enough of this. Or God, I can't do this. Or God, I don't have time in my, or God, you haven't given me enough. Or God, because we don't have enough. So it's an excuse. It's an excuse not to participate in relationships, not to participate in the Lord, not to participate in ministry, not to do what the Lord asks. We come up with excuses because of our lack of supply. But whose lack of supply is it? That's ours. Whose stuff is it? It's not ours. It's God's. Where did it come from to begin with? God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, it says this. I'm going to turn to it in my Bible. If you've got your Bible, you can do that as well. Because I would quote it in the King James Version if I didn't read it in the ESV. So 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I count, or I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I'm contented when I am weak. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. And when he's referring to his strength, he's not referring to his own strength. Whose strength is he referring to? God's. Because while our lack of supply is an excuse, God's use is our lack of supply. He says when you don't have it, guess what? I do. Also, you didn't have it to begin with. I gave it to you, and what you have, it comes from me to begin with. So I know exactly where you are. Remember what he said to Philip? He'd said it because what? He knew exactly what he was doing. See, God knows exactly what he's doing in your life. He knows exactly what he gave you, and he knows exactly what you've got, and he knows exactly where you are. So when he asks you to do something, guess why he's asking you to do it? Because you can't do it yourself. He can and he wants to. And Paul says, I take glory in those, in those things. That's why I, sometimes the King James, it's, it literally says, therefore I glory in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, and in persecution. He says, I glory in them. Not just contentment, but glory. How many of us glory in our need? How many of us glory in our insufficiency? How many of us glory in the persecutions in life? Time and time again in scripture, this idea of not having enough is prevalent. Whether it's the widow of Zarephath, whose oil magically didn't run out, or if it's the, um, the, the fish, the catch of fish that God told Peter to go catch his fish to pay the taxes. Do you remember that? How many, okay, if you're walking with somebody and they tell you, you walk up to this guy and he says, you need to pay a toll, a toll. 
and uh, you look to the side of the road there and there's a lake and this guy says to you, go catch a fish. Now, some of you are like, I was born for this moment. I've got my, I've got my Columbia hat on and my, you know, my fishing shirt and I got two rods ready to go in the trunk right now. And they said, you're gonna catch a specific fish that's got money in it. You're like, okay. <laughs> no, 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 it's gonna have the exact amount of money you need to pay this toll. Okay. <laughs> you go down, you throw your rod in and guess what you catch? You catch a bass with enough money to pay the toll. How many of us, that's not, that's not a thing, God. Jesus, people, this doesn't happen. <laughs> time and time again. Uh, the feeding of the 4,000, much, much like this with, with different circumstances. Or uh, one I mentioned in the early service is uh, Elisha, the prophet who came after Elijah, this guy loses his axe head in a river. Now, I don't know how the axe head got into the river. I mean, maybe he hit something and then flung it and it, you know, went into the river. But he makes an axe head float so the guy can get his axe head back. <laughs> Who does that? Nobody. Why? Because, because our ability, we, we think in terms of us. God, I can't this. I can't that. I don't have X, Y, Z. God doesn't think in those terms. God doesn't work in those terms. God works according to his timetable and according to his schedule and according to his ability and his timetable, schedule, and ability are vastly superior to ours. He doesn't depend on us. One of the things that we did this week, I was, um, we did it, and I was curious as to how it would go over is, uh, in the afternoon, we took a walk around Rose Park. It was just the, the main part of Rose Park on Monday afternoon. And I told the students, I said, hey, I want, you to, I want you to get in groups of three or four. And I want you to stay in this area. And I want you to walk around. I want you to pray for each other. I want you to pray for your schools. I want you to pray for uh, the church. I want you to just, just pray. And if you have an opportunity to get in, in conversation with people, do it. I was really interested to see how many groups would get in conversation. Almost every single one of your students got in conversation with somebody. And some of the interactions were really surprising. Some people said no. Said no, no, thank you. you get, don't, don't bother praying for me. I don't want to chat with you. And that's fine. Because guess what you can do after you walk away from that conversation? You can pray for them. But then you had interaction, like somebody, one of the groups got into a conversation with this fellow who said, hey, I want you to pray for my friend who's in the hospital. So they prayed for his friend that's in the hospital. And then after they're done with the prayer, this guy checks his phone and he gets a text message from his friend. Says, hey, I'm out of the hospital. <laughs> How awesome is that, right? I mean, it doesn't always work out that way. Another one, they walk up and they're talking to this lady and she's like, yells in their face. Oh my gosh, I love Jesus too. You have to come over here. I'm gonna introduce you to my husband. He's a pastor. I'm part of a homeschool group. This is amazing. Who, who would have thought? But, but the, the thing that's so interesting in all of those interactions is when you take the responsibility of how that interaction is supposed to go or how you think it should go, guess what happens? That thing becomes a whole lot easier to do because what happens in that person's life is not your responsibility. Whose responsibility is it? It's God's. 
It's always been God's. Our responsibility isn't to make sure that the gospel is effective. Our responsibility is to make sure the gospel is heard. God's the one that makes sure it's effective. Your wor God's word does not return void. It accomplishes the purpose it's set out to do. So when you talk to somebody about Jesus Christ and they say no, or they walk away without, without any discernible forward movement in the conversation, guess what? God's word was not void. Yet we seem to think that it is. We seem to think that if, if the conversation doesn't go the way we think it should go, then somehow we fail. That is not true. All right, so generosity isn't logical. I think we've established that via this passage. The second thing we see, I'm gonna start in verse nine, is that generosity is the product, not the pathway. And I'm gonna explain that in just a second. So in verse nine, it says, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. I feel like sometimes God tells us that in our own lives, doesn't he? Sit down. Just, just sit down. <laughs> now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down with 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Okay. The, I mean, wow. Wow. You have, this, this is your visitor at youth group. The boy, he's the visitor. Okay? He gets signed up for something and he has no idea what's about to happen. Somebody who was already there brought him up to the front to the youth leader. I was like, hey, there's this kid. Here's Johnny. And Johnny's like, um, what am I going to do? Back in my day, it would probably have been eat something disgusting. Like worms or raw cow stomach. Happened at a snow camp. Happened. Kenny was a trooper. But he's, he walks up and, and Andrew says, I've got this kid with five loaves and two fish. Now, if you're that boy and you look and you see you have five loaves and two fish, which are probably no, not much bigger than a half dollar. And we're not talking tuna here. We're, you know, maybe sardines. Maybe. And you look at how many people are out there. What do you do? Well, I'm going to keep my fish because it won't, it won't help with that. This doesn't equal that. This doesn't, doesn't, doesn't add up to that. There's no way I'm going to keep it. So you have Andrew who without asking question obeys God. Andrew's obedience is unquestioning. He doesn't ask. He just goes and obeys. He says, hey, I've got this kid that's got food. And then the boy, his willingness is unfaltering. He gives his lunch over. Here. <laughs> yeah. 
So you see that, and then, and then you see Jesus' reaction to all this. If you're one of the disciples that's sitting there looking at this, you're going, fish, people, fish, people, fish, people, and Jesus says, sit down. Sit, sit, here? We don't have enough money. All we've got is five loaves and two fish. I'm pretty sure that we need to send these people away to go get food, right? This goes back to the whole doesn't make sense part of the deal. Sit down. Then Jesus takes bread and he gives thanks to it. So he gives thanks for what they have. And then he distributes it. Because of the whole thing, Jesus was also planning on being generous, wasn't he? How many baskets were left over? Twelve. How many disciples are there? Think Jesus was trying to make a point? Think, think about this. You're one of the disciples. You have a basket and your basket is full. And then you look around and Peter's basket is full and Andrew's basket is full and Matthew's basket is full and Judas's basket is full. And there's exactly 12 baskets full. Again, this doesn't just happen. And why did he ask them to gather it? So that nothing was lost. Jesus took what it was given that didn't add up in the disciples' eyes, it didn't add up in the boys' eyes, it doesn't add up in our eyes, and he made it go farther than anybody could have asked or imagined it would. And there was leftover because he was so generous. And the disciples gathered the 12 baskets so that none of it was lost. See, the whole point of all of this was that generosity is the product. Generosity is the product of our life lived in Christ. Generosity is the product of our worship, worshiping Jesus Christ. It's not the thing that gets us a better life with Christ. Okay? Generosity is not the pathway for us to have a better tier of Christianity or a better existence or a better this, that, or the other thing. You fill in the blank. That's not what generosity is for. Generosity is the product of a correct heart attitude toward God and a correct worship of the Lord. And because of that, we're generous with the things that God has given us because we recognize that it didn't come from us to begin with. God doesn't give us, God doesn't use generosity to give us stuff. He gives us stuff in order to be generous. The parable of the, the rich man with the barns. You remember that? Where Christ said, tonight, you're fool, tonight your life will be required of you. In that parable, there's a little, little statement where he says, you fool, now, now who's gonna get what you have? So not only was he a fool because he, he was thinking of himself, but he was a fool because he didn't use. He was now not able to use what he had gotten. See, having that amount was not bad, but not using it was the problem. He didn't get to use it. He didn't get to partake in the blessing of being generous with it. Somebody else that gathered a whole bunch and was able to, to give it away and participate in that was Joseph. Look at everything Joseph went through to be able to, to stockpile grain to save the Egyptian people and everybody else. He used what God had given him. We need to use what God has given us and God knows exactly what he's given us. The missionary Hudson Taylor worked in China. 
he needed 800 missionaries. He needed 800 new missionaries to go and to, to spread the word. So he prayed for 800 missionaries. God gave him 800 missionaries. Somebody asked him, Mr. Taylor, how do you feel about God answering your prayer? His response was, I should have prayed for more. I should have prayed for more. Not, yay, I prayed and God gave 800. If we're honest, how many of us sit in that moment? Oh, look, I prayed for this and God did. Oof. It's not, it's not our doing, it's him from the beginning. And Hudson Taylor understood that. I should have prayed for more. My prayer was insufficient. My idea of what God was gonna do was insufficient. It, wasn't, it didn't match what God was doing. See, I think a lot of times when it comes to generosity, we have this idea that we're gonna do for God. I'm gonna do this for the Lord. But what the Lord is asking us to do is be obedient with what he's already given us. In Samuel, God is taking the, the throne away from Saul. He's, he's for, for multiple reasons, unfit to rule. And he, God tells him to go and to destroy all the Amalekites and he doesn't do it. He saves the king. He saves the, the sheep and the cows and Samuel comes and he's like, Saul, what is this? He was like, oh, I saved the best of this stuff for, for the Lord. Okay, here's where that, that comes again. Samuel says, Saul, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed the word of the Lord better than the fat of rams. In other words, to obey the word of the Lord is far better than any idea or any, any model of whatever that we can come up with to give to God because we're insufficient. Galatians 6.10, it says this, as you have opportunity, or again, King James, I'm sorry, it says, wherefore, as you have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. In other words, as we have opportunity, we should be doing this to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. We're supposed to be generous with each other and then generous to everyone else. In James, it says, what does it profit, my brethren, if a man comes to you and is naked and destitute of daily food, and you say, go your way, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding, you give them not the things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? Your faith without works is dead. He says, if somebody comes to you and says, I have need of these things, and you tell them, that's great, be warmed and filled, and you don't give them the things that they need, your faith without works is dead. In other words, we shouldn't be a people that not only say the correct thing, but do the correct thing in every opportunity we're given. And there are so many opportunities in everyday life that I think we discredit as an opportunity to be generous. It's not just our money, but it's our relationships. You have a particularly hard relationship, somebody that you wish would change, maybe that you wish the Lord would do a specific work in their life. Guess what? You can't do it. You can't change them but what you can do is be generous with them. Maybe you're like, well, I do that, okay. Do you have a house? Are you generous with your house? Are you generous with the things that the Lord has given you? Are you hospitable to those around you? 
There's all kinds of great books that you can read on hospitality and what it can do to change your relationships and the culture around you, just even with your neighbors. Are you generous with that? Are you generous with your time and your energy? Do you want to be around the people of God to give your energy and your time with them to do something? We have the opportunity coming up in May for community outreach to go out as a church and to participate in doing things for other people that they wouldn't be able to take care of themselves on a Sunday. How awesome is that? We get to go out and instead of being here, we get to go out there and do those things that the Lord has asked us to do in our own community. Are we generous with our finances? Do we look for opportunity to bless others with a blessing that God has given us? As a kid, I used to always pray for the food. You know, dear Lord, please bless this food to our bodies. And then I heard Louis Giglio share this thing about all kinds of things that we say as Christians and we've never really thought through why we say them. He was like, why do you say bless this food to our bodies? Isn't that exactly what food is for? I was like, oh man, wow. <laughs> so now I say, Lord, may we use this food to be a blessing to others. Lord, the nourishment that you give me through the food that you have provided for me on my table, may we, be, may we use this to be a blessing to others. A few Sundays ago, I walk out, coming to, come to teach Sunday school, and I look at my garage floor, and my freezer is covered, or on my floor, under my freezer, is covered in water. I'm like, like it's seven o'clock. I, I don't have time to deal with a freezer that has gone completely out. I open the freezer real quick and I look and everything is icy cold. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I just, you know, maybe it just started. Come back after that Sunday, open the freezer again, still icy cold. I'm going, what is going on? Water heater broke. <laughs> Poured water all over, all over the garage floor. So then I had to go on a, on a Sunday, I had to go without thinking about it and go spend a whole bunch of money on a water heater. And I could complain about the water heater, but then I thought to myself, man, how blessed am I that I'm complaining that I have to pay money for a water heater when I know for a fact that there are people in our world today that, that are without jobs, without houses, without all kinds of things. Look at our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and what they're going through right now. I've got a friend of mine whose family's stuck there and he's a pastor in Lynchburg, Virginia. Pray for them. Because our, our experience and our life here right now is good. It's blessed. We have the opportunity to be generous to those around us. Let's not forget that. So let's remember that first thing is generosity. When it comes to God, it doesn't add up in our head. It's not logical. And that generosity is the product. We're supposed to be generous because of our life with Christ. It's not the thing that gets us a better life with Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be here in your house this morning and to worship with your people. Lord, may we truly, may we truly recognize that everything we have, everything we are comes from you. You have given us so much and may we be generous with it to your people and to those around us. And we ask all these things in your name, amen.